Chris Nolan is standing by. Hey, Wacky Bruce. Coming to you from an undisclosed location, this is the Bruce Exclusive. And here's your host, Bruce Nolan. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to another edition of the Bruce Exclusive, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. My voice is a little bit better this week, so I'm excited about that. But now I have a sick wife, so it's just one thing after another in the Nolan household. But, you know... It's interesting. I was sitting down to take notes about the Buffalo Bills, Kansas City Chiefs game, one which the Buffalo Bills won 20 to 17. And I thought, this is going to be one of the most interesting plurality pies I've ever done. Because if you think about the game, you don't think about singularly dominant performances by any player on either team. It was one of those performances where everybody seemed to be fairly evenly matched. Some people got breaks. Some people didn't get breaks. Some people made the right calls in the crunch moment. Some people didn't make the right calls in the crunch moment. And there you go. You have a W. It's a game that reminds you how slim the margins are in the NFL. But unfortunately, the topic du jour for the last week in the Buffalo Bills sphere has not been about the Bills and Chiefs, it has been about something that came to light the day my podcast dropped. It's really interesting. I dropped my podcast on a Thursday. You go to check in on social media to see if you've gotten any feedback, and it turns out the entire world is going crazy, but not about your podcast, which is, I mean, I guess, you know, I'll accept the entire universe doesn't listen to my podcast, but it was interesting Because that's the thing that everyone has tweeted me and messaged me and emailed me about was specifically the set of articles, the series released by Go Long editor and creator and writer, Ty Dunn, specifically about Sean McDermott. And because it's been a week, I haven't gotten a chance to comment on it. And I was kind of not going to, but then I got emails and messages and tweets and conversations. And I was like, well, I think I had to have to. So I'm going to say a little bit about it. And then we're going to take a break. We're going to come back. We're going to do the rest of the emails. We're going to do plurality pie. We're going to get out of here. I keep saying it's going to be a short pod and then it never ends up being a short pod. I always end up being like 35, 40 minutes. This one, this one, I'm going to do it. If you have been listening to me for any amount of time, The phrase that I'm about to say will not come as a shock to you. It is incredibly important how we label things in life because how we label them determines how we react to things. So human beings react to stimuli based on our understanding of what the stimuli is. If you see something coming towards you in the woods and you think it's a puppy, you are going to react very differently than if you think it's a bear. Whether you label something correctly or incorrectly determines your entire reaction to it, whether or not the reaction is justified, what actions you are going to take 
to either flee from or run towards or embrace or whatever action you're going to take toward the stimuli is based upon first your labeling of the stimuli. This is why it's so important that words have meaning. I don't get loosey goosey with words. I don't say left when I mean right. I don't say blue when I mean red because they're opposite phrases. I had a conversation not too long ago where I was delineating the difference between two phrases. And I said, when you add that tiny little subphrase, you have actually inverted the meaning of the phrase. We cannot get loosey goosey with terminology. Words have meanings and we should use them. And when we misspeak, we should correct them. Part of the conversation that's been happening around Ty Dunn's article is, in my opinion, a result of misclassification. Ty Dunn's piece on Sean McDermott is a sourced editorial. That's what it is. It's an opinion piece. Ty Dunn has an opinion. Now, it's extremely well sourced with data that overall helps back up his opinion. But Ty Dunn has an opinion on Sean McDermott. This has been well established even without him making it blatantly clear in the article when he says that the team needs to fire Sean McDermott before it's too late. He didn't say the sources said that. He didn't say the overwhelming feedback that I got from these other people that I talked to indicates that. No, he made the statement as himself. It's an opinion piece. It's an editorial. Editorials represent the opinion of the newsletter or the newspaper or the website or whatever it is. And Tydon is the editor and the owner of Golan. When he writes a piece and makes an opinion, it's an editorial. It's a well-sourced editorial, but it's an editorial. So Ty is talking and then using this information overall that supports it. Now, is there stuff in there that is supportive of Sean McDermott? Yes, there is. I don't think anyone would argue that the overarching idea is that McDermott is the problem. You know why? It's called the Sean McDermott problem. The opinion has been stated. The sources and their recounting of stories and anecdotes regarding Sean McDermott are the fuel that drives the story, yes. But make no mistake, Ty is driving the car and he's steering where it goes. Nate Geary and I had Ty on our show. Food for thought. And at the time, it was already well established that Ty Dunn thought that the Buffalo Bills should fire Sean McDermott and that he wasn't the coach that was going to get the team to the promised land. And someone emailed me after I had Ty on my show with Nate and said, why are you giving that guy a platform? And I said, I'm sorry, our platform's only reserved for people who think the same way I do. There's space in this world for people who have different opinions than me even if those people who have different opinions have other sources that will back that up. It's still just people with different opinions than me. If you look at the 25 sources that Ty brought to the table, and let's assume, okay, 18 of them are more anti-McDermott than not, and seven of them are more pro-McDermott than not, it just backs up the idea that it's an editorial piece and... Ty Dunn believes that Sean McDermott is not the guy to lead this team to the promised land. Didn't I just question that same philosophy 
two weeks ago, I just said two weeks ago that I don't know if Sean McDermott is the guy and I have meaningful concerns about this. And I laid out that example. Now, what you're thinking is, well, Bruce, you did it differently. For Ty, it was a character attack. Well, first off, Ty is relaying information that the sources gave him. Now, I want to tell you a story that will help me outline a little of this. Have you ever gone to the boardwalk or an amusement park and you've sat down and you've had your caricature drawn? If you haven't, I would highly advise to do it. it it's, it's awesome. It is, it's a riot. One of the things that's very interesting about caricature artists is that they find things that you're kind of, maybe you might be a little self-conscious about. You know their traits of yours. Maybe you got a little bit of a big nose. Maybe your ears are a little bit lopsided, something like that. And all of a sudden, when you see them flipped around, you see them turn around that painting or that drawing and you look at them and go, oh, wow. It looks a lot different in the caricature than in real life. These people who are caricature artists, they took these things that you knew were facets and traits of you, but it's different when you see them on paper. It's different when you see them emphasized by someone who's not you because you're not looking at yourself in the mirror. Someone else is looking at you and they're highlighting those things and you go, oh, I didn't realize my nose was that big. I didn't realize the gap between my two front teeth was that large. Well, the truth is it's probably not. It's not that large and your ears aren't that lopsided. But the person who's looking at it is emphasizing those things. And so it makes you feel weird. There is not a single thing in the Ty Dunn article that I look at and go, that doesn't sound like something Sean McDermott's capable of. I, I can't even fathom the idea that that would be a Sean McDermott trait. Did we not know that Sean McDermott was socially awkward? Did we not pick that up? Did we not pick on the fact that maybe he's not a great communicator? You've watched him in press conferences for the last seven years. I'm pretty sure you figured that out. What about being a, a real stickler for the rules? Sean McDermott's someone who really, really, really got excited when he gets to have a bowl of raising bran for dessert. Do you remember the draft room where Kim Pagula brought in cookies and Sean McDermott was like super duper awkward about it because I don't think he's had a cookie in like 20 years? Did we not know these things about Sean McDermott? The idea that he would have very stringent and particular and OCD lines between the relationships between coaches and players, does that strike you as something that's insane for Sean McDermott? No. What we're doing is we're seeing examples of traits that we already knew existed, but it's different when you see them on paper. They go from being abstract or something you think you see or something you kind of acknowledge to being very tangible right in front of your face and it feels different. The most notable piece that got all the headlines was Sean McDermott making a completely ridiculous metaphor in 2019 in the training camp where he praised the organization of the 9-11 bombers. 
That's insanity. Sean McDermott being so awkward that he makes that, that's hard for me to believe, but I'm not stretched to believe he's really awkward. Does Sean McDermott strike you as a rah-rah, I'm going to get all of the things in this speech right? Have you seen his post-game speeches that they post after a Buffalo Bills victory? Has anyone looked at those and been like, wow, what an orator. I don't, Sean McDermott brought a gigantic binder to his interview that was like tabulated and color-coded on what he was going to do as a head coach. That's the type of guy Sean McDermott is. It just feels different when someone gives you examples of that. When they're extreme examples of that, it feels even differently. But the extreme examples, no matter how extreme they are, still tie back to traits that I already knew Sean McDermott had. None of this is new for me. So that's my interpretation. So to recap, Ty Dunn wrote an editorial that was well-sourced with a lot of different people that gave examples of traits that we already knew that Sean McDermott had. The fact that he tightens up in close games, we talked about that like two weeks ago. How he doesn't lean into Josh Allen, we talked about that two weeks ago. Rigid and strict and OCD and a poor communicator and tight. All these things, 100% track for me. I'll tell you a couple things that I did not like personally about the article. The first one is the framing of McDermott as the problem. McDermott, the problem. So Ty Dunn wrote a post on his website after all the backlash started coming in. And he said, this series explaining why McDermott has been the problem differs from the streamlined message on social media feed. It was a very defiantly toned post. But that's one of my issues. The problem. If you've listened to the show for any amount of time, I don't believe in the problem. I don't believe in ever the idea that you have a complicated team sport and there is a singular problem. McDermott is the problem. I will never say that. I will never say Josh Allen is the problem. The entire idea behind plurality pie is to slam home the idea that there is no the problem. It doesn't exist. Singularity does not exist in NFL. It's too complicated of a team sport. There's too many inner working pieces. There is no singularity. The other issue is that the way that Ty has historically been framing this is he's been framing it as, well, I'm just giving you the truth. And if you don't like it, then poo-poo on you. His exact words were, if people who didn't actually read the series want to rip away, they're more than welcome to scream themselves hoarse into the ether. The last few days have confirmed that there are fans who would prefer to be pandered, babied, spoon-fed 15-second videos of a player dancing during practice to the ornery bros who prefer a Disney Plus interpretation of their beloved football team, I have grim news. The NFL isn't all rainbows and puppies. And so the idea that we just refuse to acknowledge this as an editorial that is well-sourced is part of my problem in the framing and the tone. He spoke for himself when he said, the Bills need to fire Sean McDermott before it's too late. That was him speaking. Now, that doesn't mean... That this isn't journalism. It absolutely is journalism. Editorials are journalism. But those are a couple of my problems with the piece, personally. 
I don't like the framing, right? And I don't like the idea that it's a singularity. Those are my issues. But here's what I'm not going to do. What I'm not going to do is take personal shots at a person because I'm mad at him for allegedly taking personal shots at a coach. How ironic is this? Earlier this year, I made a statement about Sean McDermott and Ken Dorsey. What I said was, targeted criticism is always better than blanket yelling. How ironic is it that this same idea should come back up again later in the year about an article on the head coach that I was referencing at the time? So if I'm going to say that about criticism of Sean McDermott and Ken Dorsey, then I'm definitely going to say it about criticism of Ty Dunn. Targeted criticism is better than blanket yelling. So I believe we have a framing problem. I don't agree with the way that Ty framed it, and I don't agree with the way that other people are framing his article because it's a sourced editorial. We should be framing it as such, and we should be reacting to it as such. I write opinion pieces for Buffalo Rumblings. I'm not equating myself to to Ty, by the way. I've said it a million times. I don't have sources. I know people who do. That's it. So I write opinion pieces for Buffalo Rumblings. They get reacted to like they're opinion pieces. Ty Don wrote an editorial. It just happens to be sourced. But ultimately, that's the way it is. So I don't like the way that he framed it, and I don't like the way that we're framing it. So I think it's a framing discussion. I think the reason why we blew this up is because there's a fundamental issue with framing. We are not acknowledging something for what it is. We are instead reacting to what we think it is. And so those are my issues with the people who are making personal remarks about Ty. I've seen some horrible things said about Ty Don for an editorial, which is absurd in my opinion. And then I have some legitimate disagreements with the way that Ty framed that specific piece. It's not going to stop me from ever talking to him again. It's not going to stop me from potentially having him on my show down the line if, you know, if he wants to come on at some point. But we should just be targeted in our criticism. We should be targeted the criticism of the article the way that we would hope that criticism of Sean McDermott would be targeted. Someone, one of my Twitter followers said, Bruce, you did a much better job of establishing why the Buffalo Bills might want to fire Sean McDermott in your podcast, it's because I had targeted criticism. And if I'm going to have targeted criticism of Sean McDermott, then I would be awfully hypocritical if I did not have the same dispassionate, targeted criticism that's not blanket yelling about the editorial that was written by Ty Dunn. I'm not going to be a hypocrite. I'm not going to do it. When I said targeted criticism is better than blanket yelling, I meant it in all aspects of life when you're criticizing the head coach and when you're criticizing something that's criticizing the head coach. The rules didn't change just because my emotions did. So that is simultaneously my criticism of the series and also my criticism of the reaction to the series. I hope that makes sense. I very much hope we can try to get back to a a, a kinder environment around this because it's been pretty angry recently and this is supposed to ostensibly this is supposed to be fun like 
That's the reason why we do it, allegedly. So I would like it to be. So let's let's keep up. Let's let's keep having fun. We are going to take a quick break. Stick with me. We'll be right back. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Welcome back, everybody, and thank you for joining me for this edition of the Bruce Exclusive, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram, at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. We attempted to be targeted, specifically with the way that we are framing Ty Dunn's series on Sean McDermott, and the way that Ty Dunn framed Ty Dunn's series on Sean McDermott. And we spent longer than we should have, but I think this is going to be a pretty short segment, so I think we're good to go. Pat sent me a email. He said, hey, Bruce, I just started listening to your podcast after your recent appearance on Joe Marino's Locked On Bills. Loved your insights, and you pinpointed a lot of what longtime Bills fans are thinking. I have a couple questions for you. We've heard a lot about Gabe Davis and the criticism, and I agree much of it is warranted. His route tree is limited. He's wildly inconsistent on a game-to-day basis. Much of the criticism comes from miscommunication in high-leverage moments where he and Josh Allen aren't in sync. That said... The offense is supposed to build in answers to what the defense is doing, right? So in those high leverage moments, particularly in zero blitz, why is the answer they're giving Josh Allen a pass to Gabe Davis? Why not more reliable options such as Diggs, Kincaid, or Shakir? Secondly, did you have an opportunity to read and digest Tyler Dunn's piece on Sean McDermott? So obviously, yes. And I hope the first part of this podcast was sufficient to outline that my general takeaway is that we have a framing issue. We have a, we, we just we have an identification and a framing issue. And really what you're seeing is you're seeing the traits of Sean McDermott emphasized, like a caricature. So I hope that's a good analogy for what I'm getting at. Um, and I hope that it kind of gets my thoughts across okay. Now, in regards to the offense building and answers in those high leverage moments, I don't think all of those high leverage moments go to Gabe Davis. But I will say that in those high leverage moments, those are the times when a defense says, listen, we're just not going to let that guy beat us. Not that guy. Not Stephon Diggs. And so a lot of times defenses get even more concerned because at that point, the sample size is one play. So for the course of a game, good players are going to get theirs. In a lot of cases, that's just the way it is. Travis Kelsey doesn't have a lot of bad games. Justin Jefferson doesn't have a lot of bad games. It's just the way it is because those good players over a long enough sample size are going to have enough plays that go in their way. 
But when there's only one play, the sample size is one. And so as a defense, you can sell out to stop one player on one play. That's frequently the way it goes. You can say, listen, it's fourth and seven. We are not going to let Stephon Diggs beat us. Have you ever wondered why sometimes on fourth down, some random tight end you've never heard of catches a pass? You ever notice why that is? It's because the offense knows that for one play, a defense can just say, we're going to do everything in our power for this one guy. And a lot of times that's the case. A lot of times they are able to stop for one play. And you can't do that all game long. But for the sample size of one, it's a lot easier than the sample size of 62 plays. So I wouldn't say that it always goes to Gabe Davis or even overly frequently goes to Gabe Davis in those high-level situations. But also, if he's the one who's open, it's a probability calculation. You know, if you have the leverage on this defender and it's Gabe Davis, would you rather throw to Gabe Davis who's open or getting open or Stephon Diggs who's double-covered? It's a probability function. So that's the way it kind of, it ends up being that way. Josh says, hey, Bruce, I know I'm late to the party, but I wanted to say I greatly appreciate your criticism of Sean McDermott in the podcast, Inevitable. I don't think McDermott is perfect, but so much of the criticism of McDermott has frustrated me because it doesn't seem to line up with reality. I thought your analysis of him as a coach who can often be aggressive, but prefers to have his defense on the field was fair and insightful and really helped me make sense of some of the tough losses the Buffalo Bills have suffered, especially this season. With that said, I agree with you that without missing the playoffs for multiple seasons or players coming out and saying they don't want to play for McDermott, his job is likely safe. After the comments made by many players after the Chiefs game, the second seems even more unlikely. So with that in mind, do you think McDermott can change to be a better fit for the Bills? We've seen him change to some degree, most notably with fourth down decisions. Where do you think his upper limit of change lies? And is he more likely to reach it, stay put, or perhaps even regress? Thanks for all your work and for keeping me sane on Twitter. No easy task, Josh. Thanks for the the positive. I got a lot of positive feedback on Inevitable. And that was a podcast that was very critical of Sean McDermott. But I've said this all year long. It's never more important to know ball or to consume content from people who know ball than when things are bad. When things are bad, that's when you want to do it. When things are good, it doesn't really matter that much. When things are bad, then you got to lock in. And all I've ever wanted to be was fair. That's it. So this idea that because the Bills were losing, we're going to not stay true to ourselves. We're going to fly off the deep end. We're going to make horrible accusations. We're going to go off crazy tangents. We're not going to do that. We will, in all things, be fair. And so... I'm really, really, really happy that that message came through and I got so much positive feedback on that podcast because it was a very critical podcast. But everyone who came to me was like, it was critical, but it was fair. And that's that's all I want. That's all I've ever wanted was just to be fair in all aspects because I think that's the type of content you deserve. That's the type of community that we've built. In this podcast, when when you guys have disagreements with me, right, the overwhelming majority of you come to me with fair critiques and we have fair conversations about fair criticism. Now, obviously, there are still crazy people. There are still people who say horrible, awful things to me and everyone else. 
and those people we should mute and not forget just forget they exist because they're a net negative to our experience but we just want to be fair now in regards to your conversation about what i think the upper limit of change is i think people have bumpers i do not think people are endlessly malleable i can change a lot of things about myself but i can't be seven inches taller like that's not an option you can actually get taller. Like there are actual surgeries that you can get that actually make you a little bit taller. Like that's a real thing that people do. But it can't make you six inches taller. Everyone has an upper limit of what they're capable of. So we'll see. I personally think that Sean McDermott is going to be back next year. And I think it's going to answer the question for us. How malleable is Sean McDermott? If we're having all these same conversations... With Sean McDermott next year, we found his bumper. We found his upper limit. I don't think that Sean McDermott can suddenly become a different person, wired a different way. I don't think he's suddenly going to become none of the things that we talked about in the first segment where he's not awkward anymore. He becomes an extremely powerful orator. He's going to go to Toastmasters and he's going to become a really good speech giver. That's not going to happen. That's not the type of person he is. I don't think that's ever going to be the type of person he is. I don't think he's going to be a, a really good rah-rah guy. When Sean McDermott was approached with the issue of his defense in the two-minute drill, he actually went back to 2011 and studied all the two-minute drills from when he was a defensive coordinator with the Panthers. That was his solution to the problem. That tells you what kind of guy Sean McDermott is. Sean McDermott is a rigid, structured, OCD, retentive kind of guy. None of those things are going to change. It's can they be steered toward a specific outcome? So for me, I think we're going to get the opportunity. That's my opinion. I think we're going to get the opportunity to see what his upper limit is because I think he's going to be back next year. Evan says, I back. Trust me, I back. I've been fairly busy the last month, he says, of the season in my real life. That definitely isn't a weather forecaster in a Jim Carrey spinoff movie, but it's time to bring back absurd almighty takes and no better time than now. Your Buffalo Bills are going to win out. And it starts Sunday night when they host Dallas. At 1 p.m., vintage BYU Zach Wilson and the Jets. Zach Wilson and the Jets. Sorry. Will upset the December collapse Dolphins, which is going to fire up Bills Mafia. The crowd will drown out Dak, Bills are going to win yet another close game, 31-28 in a Joe Brady masterclass. Josh will throw for three touchdowns and rush for another. Jimbo Cook has 200 yards from scrimmage and another receiving touchdown. Diggs is back in a big way with 110 yards and one touchdown. Kincaid gets a touchdown to remind Jerry he missed out on drafting him. Ed Oliver feasts, drawing Aaron Donald comparisons in a not unfair way. Rossiel Douglas gets a pick and Bernard gets a fumble recovery. The AFC East is back on the menu, boys. So funny story. Everyone was using that gif from Lord of the Rings where the orc is going, meat's back on the menu, boys. And it's ironic because I had just finished watching the Amazon series, The Rings of Power. I watched it when my wife was out of town because she's not a Lord of the Rings person. Uh, although she's been reading a lot of high fantasy books recently, so maybe I could try to kind of like bring her back in, give her another shot at it. 
So I watched it while she was gone. And then all of a sudden I finished up my last episode of that series. And the next day, all of a sudden, those are the gifts all over the place, which is kind of ironic. Evan says, honestly, we're talking about December, Josh, so this probably isn't absurd enough. I predicted something similar to this week's prediction in the New England wildcard game. Look what happened then. So I'm down for it, for sure. We're going to finish off with plurality pie. Remember I told you it was going to be weird? Remember I told you it was going to be super weird? You ready for this one? James Cook, 15%. Josh Allen, 15%. Other, 70%. That's it. One of the things I think was interesting, I think there's something we learned from this plurality pie. Anytime plurality pie is weird, we should probably always talk about why it's weird. Think about dominant individual performances against the Buffalo Bills and the Kansas City Chiefs for both sides. Was there any singular player who dominated? Anybody? Josh Allen was was good. He had a couple crazy moments. I mean, If you remember correctly, the ratio that I've always worried about with Josh Allen is plays an average quarterback wouldn't likely make to plays an average quarterback wouldn't likely miss. And there were a couple plays that Josh Allen made that just very few human beings on the planet can actually make. And those were turning point plays. Overall, he was good. He was good. James Cook, maybe one of the best games of his career overall, running well. I almost put Deion Dawkins on here. He did get a holding penalty. Do you remember when people thought Deion Dawkins should be like moved to guard or something? What a year Deion Dawkins is having too. And Oliver's been playing well, but again, singularly dominant performances. I mean, there just weren't a lot of them. But the key is that they didn't have any either. It wasn't like Travis Kelsey lit you up for 10 catches, 140 yards and two touchdowns. Patrick Mahomes throws for four touchdowns and 400 yards. Clyde Edwards-Alaire ran for 160. None of that stuff happened. Rasheed Rice had a, had a nice game. Travis Kelsey had a nice game. But nobody was dominant on either side. They were good. So your opinion of the Bills is probably going to be pretty close to how you view your opinion of the Chiefs. So I think it's really important that we understand that. If you think the Chiefs are a, okay, they're a good team this year, if that's your opinion of them, then that's the type of team that the Bills just beat. If you think the Chiefs are a dominant team, then that's the type of team that the Bills just beat. Your opinion of the Bills' victory is going to be based primarily on your opinion of the Chiefs because it was a pretty tight game. It could have gone either way. It almost did go the other way. In tight games, bounce of a ball here and there, decision one way or decision the other. I didn't like Sean McDermott's decision to not kick the field goal, 62 yards. I know that pregame, they established boundaries. But if you thought you could make it from 58, right, then try it from 62. I've never really felt good about the rigidity of those things. Because Augusta wind here, change the ball here, an extra little punch here. Like all of a sudden that there's like a margin of error there. So if you think you can make it from 58, then if it ends up being 59 and you're going to say no, I've never really loved the rigidity of that. And you know me, I'm a rigid person. I like rules, but there's just a lot of variables, 
especially if you're doing that an hour and a half later. The wind's different. The temperature's different. Your leg could be feeling different. I would have tried to kick the field goal rather than Hail Mary. So, Sean McDermott, I really like the fact that he didn't blitz every single down on the last drive. I think that's that's growth. That's what you and I talked about when we talked about aggressiveness on defense in, in those high-leverage situations. So I was good with that, but then I really didn't like that decision on kicking the field goal. So I couldn't really give him a piece of plurality pie. If anything, this kind of plurality pie tells us it was a close game. And I think the Bills are getting ready to play one of the best teams in the NFL in Dallas. And I think it's going to tell us a lot about this team. I think the game against Miami is looking a little bit better. They've suffered some injuries. They've been disappointing against the Titans and things like that. But... You get through Dallas and you get a W, I'm going to be walking out the other side feeling pretty good about this team. So let's cross our fingers. Hope the ball bounces our way. Hope Sean McDermott makes right decisions. Hope Josh Allen makes right decisions. Hope Joe Brady makes right decisions. Let's see what we can do about making Evan's prediction come true. And if not, well, you know, that's the way the cookie crumbles. I'm Bruce Nolan, Buffalo Rumblings.